All right, good morning. Uh, it's great to have you here with us. As Chris said, we are kicking off a new series here today uh, called Four, and I thought it was appropriate for us to start out by just celebrating some things that White Oak Christian Church is for, some things that we are about, things that define who we are. And one of the things that White Oak is for, and if you've been around for a while, I, I pray, I hope that you, you get this one. Um, maybe if you're new here, are already because of our mega sports camp talk, like you, you see that this is true, that we are four kids, all right? We're four kids. M many of the things, and, and I could even say most of the things, most of our energy outside of what happens in this room is about kids and teenagers in our community from the things that are happening in these classrooms outside of this room in this building today to the things like mega sports camp where our children's ministry director just shared with me before we came out that we have over 240 kids registered, all right, 240, and it's going to go up, all right, so our goal was 300, I don't know if we'll hit it, but we will come close, all right, so, so we, we love kids, we're about kids, we're about breathing faith and life into children, we are for that, all right, we're for our schools, all right, and so some of you may or may not know that for the past two years, for example, uh, we've been tutoring about 12 elementary kids um, at Elda Elementary School through the Wiz Kids Tutoring Program, and so we've had about a dozen adults from our church, but also just from this community. Not, I've, not of all of the people, tutors, actually even come from White Oak, all right? But we're for our schools, and we want to give hope and, and build relationships um, in, in the lives of children and their families. We also have been in the uh, schools for the last 10 years, all right? Maybe you don't know this. It's not something we talk about a lot anymore because it's just kind of part of what we are doing, all right? We take bagels once in a while or, or, or lunch or dinner for teachers in our schools here for their conference nights, all right? So we've done that at the high school, at the middle school, at Morgan and elementary schools. We're for our schools, all right? We are for, White Oak is for people that we don't know. And what I mean by that is if you've been around White Oak for any amount of time, or if you're new here, let me just tell you, we are about people who are on the other side of the world, all right? People in India, where we are just supporting missions like crazy in India, in Haiti, in West Africa, in East Africa, and also local places, because we are about people who we may never have the opportunity to meet coming to know the hope of Jesus all over the globe. And we're for that. We're for our community. We're for our local community. Listen, 10 years ago, White Oak made a decision. White Oak had been in Colerain Township for 180 years. All right, we're talking like pre-Civil War time. White Oak Christian Church existed in Colerain. And, and, and at some point, our leader said, we, we, we can do more. We've got a message. We've got a thing that more people need to know. And so we decided to launch a site and meeting in Ross High School 10 years ago. And because we are for our community, we are for people knowing the message of Jesus. Hey, those are the things we're for, all right? And we want to be clear about the things that White Oak is for because most often Christians are known for what we are against. I had the opportunity to um, be asked to attend the career day at Ross Middle School uh, a few weeks ago. And I was really surprised when they called me and said, yeah, we've got a handful of kids who are um, thinking about vocational like ministry to become pastors. It's like, really? Like, yeah, you have 20 minutes. I said, I'll take 20 minutes and talk them out of it. It'll be, it'll be easy. <laughs> so I don't know if I did. But um, 
So I walk in and sat down, you know, and these kids were about 13, 15 kids in the class. I started talking about, you know, just kind of the day-to-day things about what being a pastor's like, kind of, you know, blah, blah, blah. And um, did a little Q&A, and one of the kids raised his hand. I'm like, yeah, you know, go ahead. He's like, why is the church not like gay people? That's what he said, all right? I'm like, we're not talking about that. We're talking, all right. And, 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 and the teacher was at her desk. She was just kind of like writing. Like her head popped up as soon as he said that. She's like, I've got to hear this. So, so, so I pulled the fire alarm, and, <laughs> and I ran. I was in my car in like 10 seconds. Um, I, didn't, I didn't do that. But, you know, when he asked that question, um, I, I, to, to be sure, I was surprised. Um, I didn't see it coming. But it really made me sad the more I thought about it because what this guy was, what this little kid was expressing was a prominent conception or preconceived idea of what most people have about the people of, of Jesus. And that is that we are against things and people far more than we are for them. So we're talking about being for today. But we have this idea in our culture, our culture has this idea, this idea that we are against a lot of stuff. All right? Whether it's true or not, they think that we're against fun. Churches are just against fun. That we're against sex. That we are against good music. All right? That we're against people who are not like us. That Jesus' followers are against gay people. Against abortion. Against hypocrites. We are against, um, sometimes those of us, people of faith, we're against of standing out in the crowd. We just want to blend in. Or some of us find that we are against being against anything at all and found that that's more comfortable being there. But here's the thing that's true. Being against something never, ever led to a changed life. And that's why we're going to do this series. And that's why we're going to talk about what we talk about today to kick off our series, all right? Because our big idea today is that we are for our community. We are for our community. And I say that because being against something never produced a changed life because Jesus was known for the things that he was for. He was known for the things he was for. Now listen, be careful. Understand this right out of the bat, shoot here, okay? Because Jesus was against sin, Jesus was against anything that called, what was called sin that separated you and me from God. And you can find the places in the Bible where it says the things that Jesus was against. But far more common, in fact, if you read the narratives of Jesus' life, and I encourage you to do that, pick one in the New Testament of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, all four tell the story of Jesus' life. And I want you to just tally marks, do two columns, one for the times you see Jesus was against something, and the other one for the things that Jesus was for. You will find that you will fill up your column on your paper all the things Jesus was for. You'll have few, you'll have some, but you'll have few of the things that he stated that he was against. Because why? Because Jesus was known for what he was for. He was consistently promoting and criticized for the things that he was pro. Listen, I mean, this is just a few examples, right? Because I want to make sure you understand this point. Listen, um, here in Matthew chapter 9, verse 10, okay, it says, later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. 
along with many tax collectors and other, what does it say? Disreputable sinners. So Jesus is criticized in this moment for eating with and being seen in social settings with disreputable people who were not like him. Mark chapter 1, Mark says this, Jesus, this man rejected by his community because of his physical condition, all right, he approaches Jesus, all right, Mark chapter 1 verse 40, a man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, can you heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. See, Jesus was for compassion on people that society had said they're not even worth it. John says this, John tells us this amazing encounter where Jesus is, is sitting next to a woman. He begins to talk to her um, because of her ethnicity that made it socially unacceptable for him to talk to her. Because she was a woman, it was socially unacceptable that he engaged her in conversation. And later we find in the story because of her sexual brokenness, she was an outcast in her community. And yet, listen what happens in John chapter 4, verse 9. The woman was surprised when Jesus spoke to her, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Jesus is for women for those who are not like us, for those broken by their sexuality. Luke, he tells us this, and it's very simple, Luke chapter 5. Jesus says, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are what? Sinners, yeah. And need to repent. And you could go on and on, and we could be here all day, outlining the things that our Lord and Savior was known for, the things that he was about. So how did the church, 2,000 years later, get to where we are? The person that died for us, whom we claim to serve, those of us who are followers of Jesus anyway, I know not all of us are, but those of us who claim to serve and follow him, our leader, our king, he was known for, criticized for, and executed for the things that he was for. So how did we drift so far? It bothers me. And I hope that it bothers you too. And to answer the question, we're actually going to look in a very unlikely place. And we're going to look at the practice of circumcision. Odd, I know, all right? But this is where it starts, and you'll see why. Now, in the book of Acts, we have recorded this history of Jesus' church beginning to expand. In the, very, in the first century AD, the church of Jesus Christ begins to very quickly expand in the Mediterranean world. Now, Jesus, when he was executed, much to the disbelief initially of his closest friends and followers, he rose from the dead, and they saw him alive. That ignited a movement of faith that this is truly the Son of God and the Savior of our sins. It blew up in the Mediterranean world, all right? And for the next 17 years, till we come to the point we're getting ready to read, all right, Jewish people were giving their lives to Jesus, and so were Greek 
Gentile, non-Jewish people were coming to faith in Jesus too. And so we, 17 years later, as we fast forward, there are gatherings of Christians, both Jew and non-Jewish, in pockets in cities all over the Mediterranean Rim. Paul and Barnabas are two of these church planters who are visiting with the church that they had helped start when they encounter this. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 15, starting with verse 1. This is what it says. While Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now I want you to pay careful attention to what happens in Acts chapter 15, verse 1, because it's the beginning of something that still sickens us today. Here you see firsthand when against begin to infiltrate the church and attack for. And against is like a slow-moving cancer. And it began to quickly erode the church 17 years after Jesus' resurrection. It's not very long that against began to attack what Jesus' church was for. And it started right here. Now, we see this all the time. And we don't really think about it in the church and in our faith setting, but we see it all the time. You see this in advertising, okay? It's not enough for, let's say, um, Chevy, Chevrolet, to say, here's why you should buy uh, a Silverado, all right? Because it's awesome, because it's got all this. Oftentimes, and, and we all love the commercials where they're real people and not actors, right? And they're like, oh my gosh, it's a Chevy. And you're like, wow, they're so surprised. It's amazing, right? And they're not. They're not surprised. All right. They're like, well, it's not a Honda. No, you idiot. It's a Chevy, and you knew that, all right? But, but, but it's not enough to say how great Chevy is. We've got to, like, talk about, like, why Ford is terrible, right? Chevy's, like, you see it advertising all the time. We're not supposed to tell you why our product is great. We're going to tell you why the other guy's product is horrible, right? And you see this not, not just in advertising. You see it in politics, right? Maybe. Wait till 2020, all right? Give it a few months, you'll see it, all right? It's not enough to say, here's why you should vote for me, here's what I'm going to do, here's what I'm about. But what you see far more of, right, is, is just that and here's why all the other candidates are terrible, right? Because it's not enough to, anymore to say what I'm for. It's not me tell you why we should be against. So it happens in politics all the time. You see it in sports. Now, sports is the place where you expect to see it, right? Because you're opposing, right? You've got the other team, you've got the other guys you're trying to beat. But you kind of see it start early to infiltrate this negativity, this againstness at young ages. And so you have like seven-year-olds you know, walking out on the baseball field. And it's not enough, and I feel like it should be, all right, to say, hey, we're going to go play hard. We're going to win, right? And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, like, win the day here. And it's not enough just to root your team on. What you have is a bunch of seven-year-olds in the dugout, like, heckling another seven-year-old batter on the other team. It's insane, all right? It's crazy because it's just not enough to go and win and do our best. We've got to say, hey, here's why your team sucks, all right? So you see it in sports, you see it in the social media, right? I, I think, though I don't know, that social media was originally intended for you to connect with friends, right? That was its point. 
but we see it turn. So, like, so no longer am I for just connecting with my friends, right, on, on, on Instagram or, or, or Snapchat. What I want to do now is bully and complain and berate other people on a public forum. And so when against attacks for, it's like this cancer that kills and erodes. And it's not just politics or advertising or sports and, and social media. It's in your relationships. It's in your home. It's at the place that you work, where you go to school. It's everywhere. We're against attacks for. And so here's what's happening in the early church. You have anyone, this is what was being said. Anyone who wants to accept Jesus as their savior, that's great. But you have to practice and submit yourself to the Jewish custom of circumcision or you will not be saved. Now to understand that, we actually have to go back, we've already gone back 2,000 years to the first century. To understand that, you gotta go back 2,000 years even more to the beginning of Israel's history. Genesis in the Old Testament of the Bible, chapter 17. We're going to do a quick lesson on circumcision. You didn't know you were going to get that today, did you? Genesis chapter 17, verse 12. From, this is God's command. From generation to generation, every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. All must be circumcised. Your bodies will bear the mark of my everlasting covenant. God's covenant with his people was, if you have faith in me, I will be your God forever. I will rescue you. I will lift you up. I will be with you forever if you will simply believe. That covenant was set with Abraham and the people of Israel, and that was the beginning of this relationship, this covenant relationship that God has with us. Now, circumcision was a symbol for Israel's people then of this special relationship they had with God and this dependence upon God for him to produce real and lasting life. Now, I'm going to keep this like PG for you, but I want you to describe quickly how circumcision relates to that, okay? If you didn't know, circumcision takes place at a place in the body that is generally known for a function that produces life. Is that fair? How that, did I handle that okay? Is that fair? Okay. That's where it happens. That's where circumcision takes place, right? In a part of the body that is generally known for producing life. Now you fast forward into the New Testament of the Bible, and Jesus is going to reclaim circumcision, and now baptism is this symbol Baptism plays a symbol that says if you believe, now you're not circumcised to mark your faith. You're submitting to Jesus Christ and through baptism in water, which is a new symbol for God's people of everlasting true life that we have in Jesus Christ. God was for new life. God has always been about life. And you come back to present time, first century AD, and you have people coming into the church and suddenly they're against something. 
They're against the people who aren't like them, the Gentile, Greek, non-Jews, who are hearing of Jesus, surrendering their lives to Jesus, and they say, but you will not be saved, and you will not be in heaven with us unless you practice circumcision as well. Acts chapter 15, verse 2. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and the elders about this question. The church sent delegates to Jerusalem, and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. They told them, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles, too, were being converted. I tell you what, I love this. I love that Luke, as he's writing this history of Acts for us, right, that Paul and Barnabas are like, okay, yes, we'll go to Jerusalem, and we'll, and we'll figure out this question with the other church leaders about circumcision in the church, all right? So as they go... They're stopping by all of these towns where churches already exist, and they're, just, and they're just talking about what God is for. They gather, hey guys, did you hear that God is accepting Gentile believers into the church? This isn't an insider's club any longer. Everyone is invited and welcomed into the family of God, and they celebrate it. So they get out, they go into Jerusalem, they sit down with the council with the church leaders, look at verse 4. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and the elders. They reported everything God had done through them. Verse 5, but then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted, the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. See, there's this disease that infiltrated the church in the first century, and it is still very much a part of our church today, and that is againstness. And it's everywhere. And when against attacks for, it will slowly erode our church. And it will erode what we're about, and your family your home, your grandchildren, your relationships, our community. Because against attacks for, and it destroys things. One of the things that happens when against attacks for is this, that we are distracted from our mission. When we see this against begin to attack for, the church is distracted from our, from our mission. Listen to away. There's a symptom. There's symptoms, okay? I'm just going to give you some. It's not an absolute, but it is a tendency. When against attacks for, the church begins to say, this is about my preferences and not about the mission. And we forget that we are about seeing people come to know Jesus, and we think that church is more about what I like or what I don't like. What do I agree with or what I don't? Do I like that music? Do I like the way they do that? And we begin to see our preferences bubble to the top, and that becomes a gauge for whether or not we are about Jesus' mission with White Oak or Jesus' church. And you see it happen, and it's everywhere. When against attacks for, we forget about our mission, and our preferences begin to take root, and actually, they become more important. Here's another tendency. Again, it's, it's not an absolute, but it's a tendency. 
when ministry begins to hinge on our availability, against is attacking for. When we have this mission to send this message, to take this message of Jesus' love out into our community, into our relationships, and when that ministry hinges on whether or not we're busy, against is possibly attacking for. You're like, well, wait a minute. Like, just because I can't do that with my time or I can't do that right now in this season or this, this or that, that doesn't mean I'm against. Listen, and, and I'm not making this stuff up. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. He says, anyone who isn't with me opposes me, and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. And the more that we find ourselves against, the more that we will forget what our purpose is. Be careful. Let me read you this quote. So the crucial part of values-based leadership is becoming a best citizen. This recognizes the responsibility to make a difference in the world. Now this was not a religious person in a religious context that said this. This was a former CEO of Ford, Alan Mulally. Mulally was brought into Ford in the mid-2000s when Ford was on the verge of bankruptcy. In 2006, he took that company and began to turn it around. And in this article, Mullaly says that what happened with Ford was that it got stuck. It got complacent and apathetic. And a company that had been born to change the lives of Americans and make them better got apathetic and had lost its values. So what Mullaly did is he came in as CEO of Ford he turned things around. He reminded them of their vision. And when every other or many other American car makers in 2006-ish began to file for bankruptcy or ask for a government bailout, Ford did not. But yet, Mullaly went to Washington to stand in front of Congress to speak on behalf of his competitors. And listen to what the, what the article says. He did so because he viewed saving GM and Chrysler as the right thing to do, knowing that their demise would hurt the auto industry, the network of suppliers, and Ford itself. See, when against attacks for, we forget our mission. When we begin to focus on the things that we're against and the things that don't meet our preferences, and the things that we don't have time for, we forget who we are. And one of the ways to counter against is that we remind ourselves that we are for the mission. And that is reconnecting people back into a saving relationship with God, period. Another thing when against attacks for is that it begins to create barriers for other people. I wonder it would be, if we can make a list. If I asked you to sit down right now and take about five minutes to make a list, how long would it take for you to have four to six names of people that you were against? Of people that you weren't, you're not rooting for currently in your life. Oftentimes, we can make a pretty long list of people that we are actually rooting against. That we hope fail. That we would say we hope they get what's coming to them. That we want to prove them wrong. 
you and I would have a list. We could become up with four or six pretty easily. See, when, when against begins to attack four, you find, we, we will find, that the people of God begin to chatter. And the perception for those outside of the church will be, oh, they are against gay people. Oh, they must be against people who aren't like them. Oh, they must be against people who are worse sinners than we are. Oh, we, they're against their ex-husband. They're against their ex-wife. And we begin to forget the people that we should be rooting for and praying for and hoping for. And then those of us who find ourselves quite righteous will say, well, I hope they clean up their lives and their hypocrisy before they can consider themselves one of us. And in doing so, we put up barriers between people and them finding their way to their Savior. And to counter against, we have to remember that we are for people. Not good people, not people who look like you, or act like you, or think like you, but people. Because the author of our faith was for people. And so we will be too. Here's a third thing that happens when against the tax four it, it is we, we, we get fooled. We get tricked. And we begin to see as Christians sometimes portraying our faith life as a position on the issues rather than a person that we serve. God forbid, God, God forgive us for the day that Christians are known for political stances rather than the person who is our Savior. But it happens. And we say, oh, well, I got, I got it covered, okay? I got this covered. Because some of us would say, well, I'm really against being against anything at all. I'm against just being against anything at all. So, so we just say, I, I, I am for any expression of sexuality so long as it doesn't hurt me. I am for somebody choosing their gender preference so long as it doesn't hurt me. I am for women's health and their right to choose. So see, I got it covered. I'm against being against much of anything at all. Be careful, because this is where against tax for, and it fools us. Because being against being against anything is not the ultimate for position. Jesus was for, was for God's version of life. He was for you and I trusting God that he has our best version of life in mind. Jesus was for God's view of sexuality. God's view of your identity. God was for the precious value of life. Those are the things Jesus was for. And when against attacks for, to counter it, we have to change our focus to the things that Jesus was for. Right? Church, that's what we do. And when our focus changes 
our hearts will change. When you focus on the thing, when you and I focus on the things that Jesus is for, when this church focuses on things Jesus is for, then collectively our hearts will change. And when we ask God to change our hearts, there's something that goes along with it. Our tone begins to change. Our words and our responses, how we view people, how we speak about life and God's desires, our tone changes. And when our hearts change and our tones change, then we're going to change our city. Guys, that's exciting. Because let me tell you, if it's any consolation, againstness didn't start with us. Okay, it didn't worm its way in just recently or in the 1960s during the free love era. All right, that's not when againstness just started attacking faith. All right? It happened 2,000 years ago. So this isn't new, this isn't our fault, but here's what we can do. White Oak, I think that I, this is where I get excited, is that we can reclaim four. I mean, beginning now in, in our generation, I don't want to have to wait for my kids to clean up the church after we're done screwing it up for a little bit. I don't want my grandkids to have to undo a persona that we helped magnify in our community. I want to get it right now and we can reclaim four i mean when they when they're having this council meeting and, and, and the christians are gathered in the jerusalem and the church leaders are trying to figure it out it was peter who spoke up first big surprise peter says in chapter 15 verse 8 he says god knows people's hearts he made no distinction between us and them for he cleansed their hearts through faith we believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of our Lord Jesus. And then James, Jesus' brother, stands up and he says, and, and so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. White Oak, I don't want us to be in any position where we're making it difficult for people to turn to God. Amen? I want them to see the life that God has to breathe into their existence. And I want to be a church and in a community known for that. Jesus tore down the barrier of sin between you and me and God. From the foundations of the world, God has been rooting for us. He's been for us. And when we can let that sink into our hearts and minds that we serve a God who is for us, it will naturally overflow into us being for our community. So here's what I want to do during our reflection time today. Um, and, and I say reflection time, and it's just a time where I, we just have a moment just to sit where you are. And maybe it's the first time you've prayed in a long time, or, or, or maybe it, it's a part of a continuous prayer life that you have. But if we are for... If White Oak is a place that is known for being for, how can we speak into the lives of teenagers who are confused with their identity and consider suicide a very real option? What could White Oak do in the lives of our teenagers if we are for? If we are for, what could we as a church community say to a bro sexually broken world, confused world, confused people, ourselves, about what God says is best and true about sex. How, if we were for that, if we were for people who are broken, confused, and hurting, how could it breathe hope and life into them? 
Then listen, guys, if White Oak was four, what if we were four people who were hurting? What if we were known for the church that was full of hypocrites? I wouldn't mind that. Because I'm here, and I'm the biggest hypocrite I know. But what if we were known for being a church full of just broken and hurting people? I would love to be criticized by other, by other believers for it. Bring it. What are we going to be known for? Known for, I, I, would lo- I would love if we are for our neighbors and for our coworkers, our same neighbors or our same coworkers who look at church as a joke and Christians as even worse. But what if we were for them and for our children and for other believers? What if we were actually, what if our church is actually for other Christians where we could encourage each other and lift each other up and equip each other on this journey of faith? If we are for those things, listen, our world is increasingly consumed by what we are against. And guys, today we need to decide that we are a people who are for So we have a decision to make. Some of us need to decide today that you believe that God is for you. And you you need to surrender your life to Jesus and surrender your life to baptism and say, I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. There's no ceremony I can do to make it right. It's only Jesus and I want to surrender my life to him. And some of us need to make that decision today. God is for you. And, and, And the rest of us need to decide something too. It's time to decide today. You've been operating in a mode of againstness. Don't be worried. We all have it, so you can't give it to us, all right? But we can heal it. God can heal it. You've been operating in a frame of mind in your faith. You've been against him or that or it or her. It's time to stop. And ask God to begin to operate your heart in a place of four. We have some decisions to make today. Let's pray. God, um, God, you are God of such grace and such wisdom and such mercy. Father, I, I, I just want to thank you for this one thing and then ask you for something. God, I thank you that you sent Jesus for us. His life and his resurrection, and his power, and the power of your Holy Spirit is the proof that we need that you are for us. God, I pray that that truth alone, Father, fuels our hearts, and that you change our tone for the people around us, for this community. Father, we ask your Holy Spirit to empower us to do your work. We love you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.